The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode number 88 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm Sean Rapier. I am the host of the show, and thank you so much for stopping in again this week. I hope you had a wonderful Easter weekend. What a great time of year it is between conference and Easter and the changing season, and it's getting warmer, and flowers outside and everything else. Springtime just makes me happy, and I hope it was a wonderful time for you to reflect on the Savior you just had a terrific weekend. Uh, this week on the show, my guest is Kylie Shields, and you will absolutely love Kylie. I so thoroughly enjoyed sitting down with her, hearing her great life story and about her book. And she just, I get the feeling that everywhere she goes, she just makes the world a brighter and better place. You will absolutely love her. And this week in my latter day life, I'll tell you a little bit about the importance of being cheered on. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And it is a privilege today to have here in the Latter-day Live studios an author. And I don't know that much more about you, but a therapist, an author, and someone I'm so excited to get to know. She came highly recommended. Kylie Shields, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I am so excited to have you on. And I have to give a quick, big shout out to Nicoletti of Latter-day Saint Mission Cast, who introduced us. Yeah. And Love he, him. he's talked to you before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're friends. Reconnected. Yeah. We, we, I, did, I did a podcast with him like six years ago. Oh, yeah. And we kind of stayed in touch through the years, but just recently reconnected. So, yeah. Nick's the best. And I have to give a, an extra plug for Latter-day Saint Mission Cast. A couple of weeks ago, if you go back, he interviewed the directors of the, the I want to say it correctly, the choir on Tabernacle. No, the Tabernacle Choir on Temple Square. That, yeah. I don't know if I got that right. It's a... <laughs> I wish I could just say Motab, but I'm going, <coughs> tab going cats. to be that's how you remember it. Tab, tab cats. cats. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Tab <clears throat> yeah. cats. So the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square. Oh, see, Tab cats really works well. <laughs> anyway, it's a great interview. So Kylie, I'm just thrilled that you're here. We just found out we're practically neighbors. Yeah, you live the just up the street from us. But I want to get to know you better. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about where where you're from, where you grew up. Yeah, that's a <clears throat> little complicated. So I was. Technically born in Utah. I lived in Tooele, Utah. Yeah. I don't really tell people that usually. Okay. <laughs> this is the first time I've actually gone that far back. Okay, but but, but for people outside of Utah, yeah. <clears throat> don't try looking up Twila because you will not be able to spell it. Yeah. So we were coming from Northern California when we moved out here, and I was like, huh, Tule. What an Everybody, interesting name for Tule. a city. Yeah. T-O-O-E-L-E. Yeah. But it is Twila. Twila. My dad was my dad is a seminary teacher. He was teaching oh, there. Oh, awesome! Um, and then when I was pretty young, we moved to Oregon, right outside of Portland. So I always say I grew up in Portland. I love Portland. Yeah, yeah. And I'm an Oregonian, which yeah. I'm very proud of. So That's awesome. I went to high school, a rural high school out there. Um, but 
the summer before my senior year, my dad just, my dad got accepted at BYU. He was going to do a BYU like a PhD fellowship. So mm. <clears throat> at that time, we had eight kids. So that was kind of a big decision, and it was right before my senior year. So we moved, and I I moved to Orem. I, I graduated from Orem High. I'm a Orem High Tiger. <laughs> how old How old were you when you when you went to Orem? Uh, I was 17, 17 and eighteen. Yeah. So yeah, <clears throat> that's a hard time to move. Super hard. So I am. I was really big into music, and I I was on the dance team at my high school. And um, we hadn't had a musical the four years I was in high school, and I actually made the lead of it was Once Upon a Mattress, and I awesome. didn't get to sing it because I wasn't there my senior year. So I left a lot of sort of the hopes and dreams that you do as a senior. Yeah. And my sister was a sophomore, so we both went to um, Warm High. The crazy thing is, if you fast forward 15 years, my family moved to California, came back to Utah, and my brother came back to Orem High as a senior, and my littlest, the little sister in my family, the baby, came back as a sophomore, and they ended up graduating from Orem High as well. So the bookends of my family. A lot of Orem High love going on. Are Orem High Tigers, even though they grew up in California and I grew up in Oregon. It's so crazy. So did you say you're the oldest? Then? I'm the oldest. You're the oldest, oldest of, eight. of eight. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And there's six girls and two boys. Yeah. So a lot of girls. Awesome. Super yeah. Cool. So Oregon was <clears throat> the best. I had the best of friends. Um, moved my moved for my senior year. It was a it was very faith promoting. Yeah. Yeah. I I it was about halfway through my senior year of high school that I realized I had prayed my junior year of high school just for good friends. You know, I grew up in a place where there weren't that many members and yeah. didn't go to parties, wasn't doing the sex, wasn't doing the drugs, and I was so lonely. I was just so sad. I would cry, and my mom would just be like, "I'm sorry that being good is not cool." <laughs> You know, I watched watched my parents just be sad. Yeah, real sad. I mean, I had good things, but I was really, I was lonely. You know, nobody would invite me to things because they knew I wouldn't want to go. And Mm. so it was about halfway through my senior year. And and mind you, Utah, if you grew up in Utah, this isn't, this isn't new to you, but if you grew up outside of Utah, the whole dance every month and everybody going on dates and, and group, group, um, temple, let's go to the temples. All this was just foreign to me. So it was it was like Mormon, like overload when I moved here, which was good and bad. It was hard for me to be like, you're kind of unique when you're a member of the church outside of Utah. Yeah. And then you come to Utah and there's like 15 shades of Mormon. And I yeah. was like, I was used to one shade. Like, you know, like you're Mormon or you're not. Yeah. There, well, I mean, it's obviously a heavy church population here in Utah, super heavy. Yeah. And that those things are common. You know, I grew up in California, but I watch. My kids, they do the early morning temple trips with friends. Yeah. And last night, you know, we had six kids from our ward over here watching movies and you know it, It's lovely. It's wonderful. It's lovely and I didn't I didn't have it and it was halfway through my senior year that I realized that that, that God had answered my prayers in this crazy way. Like, you know, moving across to a different state yeah. my senior year and all the, you know, it was easy. I think it's easy in our lives to focus on what we're leaving, letting go of and what we're leaving and, and not necessarily what we're heading towards. And so for me, it was I a love that. really big moment where I was like, oh, yeah, I remember when I was like, God, if you could just help me feel more yeah. connected. And here I was just surrounded by, I had the most amazing senior year. I ended up being in the choir, pulled awesome. some strings. Just, it was awesome. So I, because <clears> I think that. You know, when people think of the West, especially my friends who are members of the church on the East Coast, mm-hmm. they think the entire West is filled with members of the church. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you, certainly Idaho and Arizona, 
have quite a bit. California, it's just so big, but there are a lot of members of the church. But when you get up in the Pacific Northwest, yeah, it gets it gets a little more more sparse. Yeah, you know? we we kind of all gathered together. I think you know we're all spread out, but like yeah. I knew a lot of members because of you know it, it it's sort of like the steak dances and things like that became it, they're just a different feel. That's when you meet together and see yeah. all the members rather than it's a lot of travel. It's a lot of travel, yeah. yeah travel I mean, to even, church, travel to the temple, even travel, in California, yeah. it was, yeah, I mean, going to the Oakland Temple from San Jose was it's a long way. Yeah. But you move here. And, yeah. And you, so what? what's your percentage, Utah versus Oregonian? Like, I, in, in I am soul? a, I, in my soul, I'm a very strong Oregonian. I yeah. hold on to it. I've lived in Utah more years than I lived in Oregon. Yeah. But I just love it. I love that part mm. of me. It's and awesome. it's it was my form of years, you know. Yeah. It informed me on a lot of my thinking processes and how I love. I think I was I you know I had the opportunity to grow up with a lot of um, different cultures, different religions. Mm. You know, I'm in a classroom of high school kids that are all kinds of thoughts that are you know not really similar. Awesome. Like we all think the same. So I was really gifted an opportunity to just be like, this is I love this. I love cultures, thoughts, religions. I feel stronger when other people, you know, I, I sort of gained this momentum at a young age um, that I don't think a lot of members, you know, a lot of my friends that are members didn't really gain for a while that like, it doesn't matter if you're Mormon, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or not, if we have, they have these common things um, across religions and we really need to bond on those, you know. I love and that. being in high school in Oregon helped me with that. It's like, right. oh, we all feel good about this thread, whatever it is, and it doesn't really matter that we mm. all belong to the same church, you know. <clears throat> Which is the message that was so strong at conference. Yeah. Conference this week was, uh, <laughs> you know, or a couple of weeks ago was all about, you know, hey, we're, we're let's take the good you know, let's take the good that, that unites us and combines us and puts us together. So that's awesome. Yeah. So you get done with high school. <clears throat> suddenly you're in Utah. Did you have thoughts of going back to, to I didn't because I was on a go to college, go on yeah. a mission journey, kind of like just, yeah. just I'm a little bit like, let's make it happen. Like, so you go, go straight ahead. to college. Where'd you go to school? So before we go there, I just want to say the funniest thing happened to me. So I didn't date a ton before my senior year of high school, um, mostly because there weren't that many members, but also it just, I don't know, I didn't. And then I, <clears throat> my first day, my first day at Orem High, which is like 98 like percent Mormon, right? Yeah. At the time I'm there, it might be more diverse now, Orem but it was like, yeah. yeah. So I sit down and this is the year the church, the year that I was a senior, they um, had changed the seminary program. And so because they were changing over to the new correlated program, so the seniors were all together in a Doctrine and Covenants class. So mm. instead of having all the, you know, sophomores, juniors changed. So I walked into my seminary class and I saw, um, I saw all the cute guys that I had seen in all my classes before seminary. And I'm like, all these cute boys are Mormon. <laughs> so naive, right? That was a revelation. <laughs> and, and I said to a, a girlfriend that I didn't even really know, I was like, there seems to be a lot of Mormons in this school. <laughs> oh, Sean. Yeah. <clears throat> She's like, Kylie, I think there's maybe two non-members, a sister and a brother that are like a junior and a senior here. And I was like, <laughs> mind blown. So that's, that's, that's how I entered Utah. The naivety of just like, you know, that is so, yeah. So that's funny. my funny story about high school. Yeah. So then I, I um, wanted to go to BYU really bad because I wanted to be a young ambassador. Do you know the young ambassadors? Yes. Yeah. 
I was from, from the 10 year old, my dad had taken me and I was like, that's it. I want to be that. And I, and so, um, you're a real performer. I, I hear this. I'm, I'm a performer, but you'll, you'll hear this. I'm an epic failure when it comes to well, the BYU Young Ambassadors. Before we get to that, tell us what, tell us what exactly the, uh, Young Ambassadors is. Okay. So BYU has a MDT, Music Dance Theater, uh, troupe. I guess they're yeah. called. And they perform shows and they travel around the world. Kind of musical <clears> review, <throat> right? Musical review, yeah. Yeah. Best of the best. Yeah, amazing. Creme de la creme. Like I mean, won pe- all these awards. People and- are going, you know, tons of my friends fr- through the program are on Broadway or performing on ships all over the world. I mean, they're it's good. Huge. It's yeah. good, yeah. And I and I just wanted it so badly. Um, and I didn't get into BYU the first time I applied. Um, and I was devastated. I'm not super, super, like savvy with with tests and stuff like that mm. i'm okay like with grades but um and then i was invited to go like summer and then if i went summer i could go <clears throat> so i went and i i actually ended up um auditioning for young ambassadors like four or five times and didn't make it <laughs> mm, really? like the tenacity to like be a, a young ambassador was super strong and the talent just wasn't there you know Rand, randy booth yeah like sure. the third or fourth time that I tried out, he said, you know, Kylie, <clears throat> you're basically, you're good. You're just not good enough at the level. And there's so many, there's so many women right. that come into the program and it was, he was very kind. And I, and I learned a very, you know, I think very successful people have failed a lot. Yeah. And one of the things that I learned in this process was that like, um, when you fail to get the thing that you think that you want, it opens up doors and other avenues to other dreams that you didn't know, <laughs> you know, that you did you have this perspective <clears throat> at the time or is this in not at the time at the time I was pretty bummed and I thought, you know, there's no, there's no, I can't get good enough. Basically I could sing and dance. I could practice till I, the instrument that I have, the body that I have, the, the, at that time it was just never going to be good enough. And that was a really hard realization. Cause you kind I kind of had this internal beat that was like, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. Like you can do whatever you want. People are just like, do whatever. And it's like, sometimes you can't. Sometimes you can't do whatever you want. It, it, it depends on the person who's judging you or the yeah. team person, you right. know. So I, that was kind of a frame in, in those, you know, four or five years um, through BYU for me building resilience, I think. This so you didn't get into BYU <clears throat> at first, but then you ended up getting into yeah. BYU, but you didn't ever end up in the Young Ambassadors. No, fail, fail. See? But I don't call that fail. Yeah. It's just that you didn't get it. I mean, fail. That's fair. I tried real hard for a long time. Maybe, maybe more longer than I should have. Like yeah. some people are like, that was a lot of time. I think if you're performing, you <laughs> fell off the stage. That's a fail. Yeah, that's fair. But but lots of people audition. It just didn't happen. Yeah, and I and I I had a stick to itness. I made a lot of friends. They do these they do these showcases where you don't have to be. I was an MDT major, even though I wasn't for the first like year and a half. Yeah. Um and um. Yeah, so I made a ton of friends, friends that I still have to this day, even though I wasn't a young ambassador. So the the drive to like be in that area, in that field of music and performance has like, as we talk a little bit more, you'll see, has made an imprint, a lasting imprint on my life. Yeah. Even though I didn't get the thing that I wanted, it sort of opened this avenue to music and performance and it's like awesome. integral. Yeah. <clears throat> How long were you at BYU? So I did two years, and then I served a mission, and then I did my last two years. Where'd you go on a mission? Yeah, I served in San Diego. Oh, my office is in San Diego. Yeah. I'm there all the time. Love I'm, it. My office is in Poway, North San okay. Diego. So. When I got called to San Diego, 
um, I was one of those missionaries that, you know, you never want to admit this, but I was like, oh, because my family, we had vacation there many times. I had cousins yeah. that lived there. I was like, why San Diego, you know? How I feel the, bad admitting that. How was the mission? <clears throat> I had a very personally tailored mission when I look back. So I, I knew sign language, um, not like fluently, but fairly well. And when I applied to go on my mission, I said that I knew ASL. And I found out later, so my great uncle was working at the mission department. Oh, sorry. Was working at the mission department at the time. He called my parents. I didn't know this until later, way later after my mission. And he told them, I have um, Kylie's mission papers, and we have this pile for ASL missionaries, and we have just the regular pile kind Mm. of before they go to whoever, the general authorities or whatever, right? And he just asked my parents, do you feel strongly or just do you know that she feels strongly at all about where I put her her papers, which pile, <laughs> you know? And my parents were like, I think you should just put it in the regular, just the regular mission call now, You pile. were hoping for <clears throat> ASL, though. You put it down. I was a little bit it? hoping, yeah. yeah. Um, but I also had a lot of trepidation. As I love music, it's not valued in the – very much valued in the deaf culture. And so I knew it, it would be a sacrifice sure. to not have that at all yeah. for my mission. Um, so here's the crazy thing that happened is I got called to the Mormon Battalion Visitor Center. Oh, I love the Mormon Battalion Visitor the Center. The new one. You love the new I one, lo- right? Well, I loved the old one. Did you? I loved oh, it that's... before the multimedia. <laughs> no, we that's took our nice kids when they were hear. young and we loved it. And then when we went back, the multimedia <clears throat> stuff's amazing. Yeah. Um, it felt a little bit forgotten when I was on my mission. I was like, we're kind of a little bit forgotten. Um, of visitors. I'm so glad that you quaint. loved it. It was quaint. Yeah. It was cute. It was cute. Now it's like, knock your socks off. It is knock your socks off and, and drives a little, uh, more people, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So when I got called, so you have a director, right? But, and a mission president. So I got called to the Mormon battalion, um, and I worked there, I, I served there for about seven and a half months before I, my mission call was actually changed and I was called to serve a sign language mission in San Diego. Wow. So here's cool. the crazy thing about that. My mission president at the time, before I had even come out to San Diego, the San Diego sign language mission had been closed for about two years from apostate mm. missionaries. And so he had said when he got called, I, I would like to reopen that the, the deaf part of the mission while I'm in my three years. So he told the church, he's like, <clears throat> I need you to, at some point, you know, I need you to send me missionaries who know sign so that they can reopen it. And so unbeknownst to me, you know, in that pile of not necessarily ASL, I come to San Diego and I get to reopen the sign language program in San Diego. So I was the only missionary... When we first started, not even my companion, and my mission president, bless his heart, we laugh now about that, he sort of thought that ASL was a little bit like you learn it in English and you can just sign it in English. And so he, I had memorized at the time, we memorized the discussions, right? And I had mem- memorized them in, in English, but it's sort of like saying, now go teach it in Spanish. Yeah. They're not the same language. And right. so I didn't know a lot of the church sign because I had learned colloquial uh, sign, you know, like. Sure, um, yeah, yeah. And so they have a deaf branch in San Diego. So I went and learned how to pray and kind of like an investigator, like learned how to pray, learned how to like teach the first vision. And yeah. So the rest of my mission, I served, you know, in two capacities. I served as a sign language sister. And then we ended up calling missionaries from the MTC. But remember that I never went to the MTC learning ASL. So I had a, I had a lot learning, a large learning curve. In fact, the missionaries that came out that I was training, the two sisters that I trained from the MTC were better signers when they came out to me as new 
newbie signers than I had been. So it was very humbling, but a a pretty cool experience. And then I got called to be what's called a traveling sister. That was the beginning of when they were trying to test out like sisters in leadership. So I had this really unique opportunity to be kind of like a, like an AP. So and so I got to do sign language in that. So for me and my ADHD um, personality, I think the Lord was just like, you want to work? I'm going to, here you go. Work. I'm going to let you sign. I'm going to let you do this. I'm going to let you. Um, it was a very, very difficult, difficult mission. My mission president would send me into any of the areas where the sisters were struggling to help things go well. And I was like, I don't like this. I just want to go serve, you know? Sure. Yeah. So I learned a lot. I learned, learned a lot, a lot, a lot that helped me inform me later as a therapist and other areas of my life about people and how to interact with people. I did some things that, you know, I wish, you know, had I had the knowledge now, I would have done it differently. But, you know, I'm sitting with missionaries that want to go home and I'm sitting there with missionaries that are, got called to speak, you know, a Spanish and couldn't speak Spanish. Right. And do we change your call? Just real hard stuff. So <clears throat> you, you come across as such a natural optimist. <laughs> Like you really yeah. do. Have you always been? Always. I think one of my spiritual gifts. Yeah. It has to be because how do, I, how do we, I can't describe it any other way because I have a lot of, I've had a lot of opportunity to fail. Um, and, and I use fail as a larger, yeah, like a lot, a lot of, I've been put in a lot of hard yeah. positions and sort of always c- c- choose to see this as like a growth mindset, like a resilience building. Okay. I believe optimism is a gift of the spirit. Yeah. I really do. And I think you, you come across that way. Like you definitely exude this, but here's the bright side and here's the positive. Yeah, and I knew, I knew at a pretty young age because, you know, girls when they're 12 and 13 and 14 tend to be really self-conscious and body conscious. And I just couldn't be bothered. I mean, if I'm being honest, I was a tomboy and I was just like, I don't care what people think. I don't care. I really just was who I was. And, you know, some people would say to the detriment of my, like, you know, I don't know, you know, like I I was kind of oblivious and aloof to things, but it's helped. But I could tell at a pretty young age that like, I think there's something inside me that has, yeah, that growth mindset. I didn't know what it was called, but like, there's something inside of me that sort of um, wants to build the kingdom and whatever the things are going to come your way, we're just going to figure out a way to like step over them. That's awesome. You know what I mean? That's so great. So you come back, did you go back to BYU then? I went back to BYU and I had changed my major right before. So my sophomore year, so there's a significant um, thing that happened in my life that changed my life. My sophomore, right before my, the summer before my sophomore year, I had a little brother who, who died. Mm. So he drowned down by the uh, Riverwoods, you know, the Riverwoods area in Provo. There's a canal down there. And at the time, that's a whole other thing. But at the time, I felt the spirit say very strongly to me, for whatever reason, they're they're inexplicably tied. Um, You don't need to major in music. Like, you'll have music the rest of your life. And it was like, (laughs) it was a big old, like, flag and um was that hard to accept it was very hard to accept but it was like permission giving does that make sense right it was like (sighs) took the pressure off of you (laughs) but you kind of like the pressure like i want to do music i I did kind of well you know you get put in like uh everyone gets put in there like you're the class clown you're the this you're the that i was the singer yeah, that defines or the piano you. player. Right, yeah, right. so I just was gonna just you just jump in the river and it floats down until you until something gets in the way, right? And I loved music and yeah, um, and so what 
at that same time that my, around my brother died, I was taking introductory courses and I took an English introductory course and I loved it so much. And so I changed my major to English with a creative writing emphasis. Mm. And then I went on my mission, came back and I graduated in that with a minor in linguistics and um, editing because I love the language thing. Yeah. And I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up because I knew <laughs> being a creative writing English major, which wasn't a teaching major or anything like that, what are you going to do with that? Um, but I was taking the seminary classes and stuff like that to yeah. be a seminary teacher, and I was teaching at Spanish Fork High School, and I was loving it, and I just I didn't get hired. It happens to a lot of us. So Yeah. And I was, I, I'm not going to lie, I was a bit devastated. I, I was late to doing it because I was like, I don't want to do it. My dad does it, you know. Um, but I felt really strongly impressed that I should do it. And then in the process, I felt really good about it. I got really great scores. The people that came in, my students seemed to like really love me. And I felt like this is where I'm going to use my gifts. This is where I'm going to use my this gifts, right? Yeah. Like the youth, the generation, I'm going to teach sure. them and help them with their testimony. So <clears throat> when I didn't get hired, I was, I was, I was less devastated that I was like, okay, God, like, Why? it's like you yeah. led me to the. You Why led me to the I, end yeah. of the road and now right. I don't, and now there's no, you know, I was really confused. It was yeah. one of the, it was the beginning of, I call, I, I, I say I have a, a questioning heart. I'm a member that has a questioning heart. You know, some people have really good faith and they believe and they just always believe and I, and I don't. I have a very like, okay, what's happening? I you wrestle. Understand it. I yeah. wrestle with God a lot, let's just say. Which is what a lot of the great prophets have had. Yeah, I just wrestle and I'd be like, what? And and so I did this thing that I am so grateful that I did and I have parents that are great. And I just was like, I'm out. I'm going to leave Utah. And I joined AmeriCorps. Have you heard of you this? You did. No it's like kidding. Domestic yeah, Peace Corps. Sure. I was like, yeah. deuces, peace out. And I, I moved to Boston. And I was thinking I wanted to live in Boston or New York, you know, music and all that, or D.C., one, because there's a lot of LDS singles um, that I thought were cool. Cool LDS singles, right? And, uh, and then I found a job in a foster adoption and foster care mentoring program. So I became the um, recruitment and volunteer coordinator for a year at this place in Boston. Lived in poverty. I mean, there were times yeah. when I'd cry and be like, I'm starving. I'm in America. I belonged to a church where I paid diving and I don't know how to find my next meal. It was crazy. It was crazy. Amazing. Yeah. And what kind of, so that was what you were doing for AmeriCorps was the mentoring. Yeah. So yeah. I, I was, re I was recruiting people to come and volunteer to help the program go well. So like I recruited, this is one of my claim to fames there. Um, I recruited a lady who had retired um, and she had done a lot of fundraising and stuff. And so she was our grant writer. She still works there to this day, volunteer awesome. grant writer, which is cool. It was like years That's and years big. later. Yeah. But I also, um, I also helped the mentor. So it was a foster care mentoring program. So I also helped connect the mentors to the, to our, our foster care kids and just wow. kind of fell in love with, um, I'd always known at a really young age, I did EFY. I was an EFY counselor and then yeah. building counselor and field coordinator. So I had done a ton of like youth stuff. So I was, I really knew that the youth was where I was meant to be. That was awesome. So when I was doing the mentoring thing, I was like, maybe I, this is it. So after my first year of AmeriCorps, then I started working for Big Brothers Big Sisters mm. in Massachusetts Bay. Um, and it was there that I actually had another really formidable like... <laughs> moment in my life so I, ca I got fired from that 
I got fired from that job, which up until that point in my life, my work ethic, I, th- I felt like I just had a really good work ethic and I was an honest person. And I, you know, I just didn't think that would happen in my life, to be honest. I don't know. Most people probably don't think. I don't think most people um, think they're going to get fired. So my boss was great and she was really kind. We had these, by the numbers we had to do, we had to call people and we had to blah, mm. blah. And I ended up just listening too much was a thing and I ended up like offering things that weren't really like that were helpful to the mentors but weren't really on our Rolodex of things to do and they they had a program they weren't terrible things that I was doing but they didn't fit the program and so ultimately my boss was just like this is not for you I'm gonna do you a service by saying this is not for you you need to go and find something else. I think she really thought that she was doing me a service and it devastated me. Mm. You know, for the next 10 years, you on your resume, when you are fired from somewhere, that you carry that for 10 yeah. years. That's a long time to say to people. I got fired. Or if they ask you, have you ever been yeah. fired from a job? And I'm an honest person. So for 10 years, I carried, I mean, most people will just were like, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, so That's that was big another deal. big kind of wow. like failure moment in my life about like, Okay, is she right? I had to do a lot of digging yeah. in. Is this the field that I want to be in? I in my in my book that I wrote, I call this period of my life just wandering in the wilderness, doing yeah. good things, sure, but Trying not to really out what knowing what I wanted to do. Right. Um, so, to, speaking of yeah. your book, because I want to, I just want to go back a little bit. Yeah, for sure. To the BYU as well as the Boston, this time in your life. Yeah. Let's talk about dating. Yeah. Because and, I did and, and some. the reason I'm asking the reason I'm asking, <laughs> it'll be it'll be very germane okay. when we hear about your book. Yeah. But you uh, most most I wouldn't say just women, most people I talk to, <clears throat> it's I'm gonna go to BYU, I'm gonna find my spouse. Yeah. I'm gonna date, find the spouse, and I'm gonna move on, and this is what we're gonna do. And so um How'd yeah, that no, go for you? I didn't have that. I sometimes wonder if that was broken inside of me. I was like a Mormon female, young female. I had a very, like, I had this drive to get things I wanted to accomplish in my life done. Hmm. And if it was part of that, great. Does that make sense? Yeah. It, no, it was, it's something I valued, sense. but it wasn't something that I was sort of hanging around hoping, like, did you see a lot of girls where that was the big problem? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, and I don't really fault that. I think everybody in their time. I think there were some girls that maybe, um, and, and I'll talk a little bit more about when we get to Boston, but there were some people that I was like, ugh, there's much better things to do in your life than just like hang around. I, I, I felt like it was a little bit like not, a, not attractive. I also thought, I had a lot of guy friends. I also thought those girls that, um, this was the mindset that I had, girls that were just sort of waiting around to get married, guys didn't really want to date. Interesting. They, they weren't really like doing things in their lives. And so they were kind of like, so it was a kind of a catch 22, right? Yeah. So if you were ser- seeking after, it was harder to find. Yeah. Um, but I, if I'm going to be honest with you, it wasn't until I was probably about 28 or something that I started to feel that ping, which was late for some people. But I wanted to get married. Don't get me wrong. And I, and I dated some people and I, but it was like, oh, I'm, I'm old and single and Mormon. And these are not the things that are like, this is not the path that you're supposed to be on, you know? And then I started to kind of do start a little bit of a panic about like, okay, you should be more calculated about like getting yourself married. So yeah. a long time, you know, yeah, that's a, a, a lot stretch. older that I, because I was just like loving life and doing things which that is I great, loved. Yeah. Which is so great. So my, on my mission, we met a girl that was 
just bumped into her serendipitously um, that was doing surf lessons. And when we talked to her and I was like, well, why are you coming out here to do surf, surf lessons? She said on her mission, she set 100 goals the night before she went home from her mission. One of the goals is to learn how to surf. So she was in San Diego. She was there for like six weeks, not just like a couple lessons. She was there as part of her goals that she set on her mission to literally learn how to surf. And that inspired me so deeply. So the night before I left my mission and the mission home, I set 100 goals. And one of my goals was to write a book, which which brings us to the The book. Yeah. So in Boston, so BYU, I dated. I had a lot of fun. I didn't have, I didn't, um, I had one kind of serious boyfriend before I went on my mission, but you know, kind of the typical story. Yeah. And then I moved to Boston and it was really apparent to me really quickly that there were some women, um, that were in their like early thirties. So at the time I was 26 when I moved to Boston, um, and they just seemed miserable. They just seemed miserable. They, <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with being a secretary or anything like that, so I don't want to put anybody down about that. But they didn't seem like they were career-oriented. <clears throat> they yeah. were sort of spinning their wheels, I called it, waiting to, like, get married. Um, and they kind of seemed drab, and, and they kind of looked drab, if that's okay to say. It's yeah, probably not okay to say. I think it's real. But um, they didn't take care of themselves very well because they had an attitude of, like, I should just be able to be who I am and people should just love me for who I am. And it was a, it was a mirror reflected to me because I, I told you I have this attitude that's like, I'm just, it doesn't really matter. Does it really yeah. matter what I look like? And does it really matter how much I weigh? <laughs> I just didn't yeah. have a lot of, you know, this social thing that a lot of sure. people have, but it reflected to me. Then I was like, yeah, it kind of does. It kind of does matter that you take care of yourself and that you look nice and that you have yeah. a direction. Um, we call it trying. That, Yes. It matters that you try. And, and, I, and I could see from afar that, again, the guys just aren't asking you out because you're kind of bitter. Yeah, I get and, that. And I just made a decision, a like deep, deep-rooted decision in my soul. And I was like, I will never be like that. Never. Awesome. And that was another turning point for me because I'm 39 and single, right? And yeah. I just, and I feel great about being 39 so I feel great. great where I am in my life I don't feel great about being single but I feel great about where I am in my life which because, is awesome yeah because I made that decision and you should and that and so I started blogging you know 2006 was big big blog. yeah blogging the I was writing my own HTML this was before they made it really easy no to kidding. like I mean basic like yeah, yeah, let me you know um and and it was resonating really well I felt like I could pull sort of these general ideas about dating and being Mormon out of the like atmosphere and put them down on paper. And, um, and, and then we, I'd go to conversations and talk to people and and I felt like I had, I had something, I had this ability to sort of captivate or, or, you know, I, I, this was where I first started to be like, Oh, I really want to be a writer. I wish people would think that I was a writer. (laughs) You know, you're like, get these (laughs) definitions. Like I'm a singer or I'm a this. I'm X. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, long story short, I ended up taking all of those, a lot of those blogs um, and kind of doing, I didn't know what I was doing, but I ended up for lots of the different family home evenings out there in Boston. Um, they would let me like kind of workshop some of my ideas with the different wards. I had like three different single adult wards, uh, which was nice for you, like, you know. Yeah, get feedback on feedback your book. Why not? And, and then I moved to Arizona to go to grad school. And my mom was a big proponent of the book. She was like, you should write a book. And I was like, no, nobody wants to read a book about, like, who's going to read a book about 
being single and Mormon and making making your dreams come true. And um, and then I started just being like, you know, I should just I should just do it. And it, even if it doesn't sell and even if I don't get it published, I have a goal to write a book. And so then the actual writing of the book was probably like six months, but yeah. it was a six-year process. Does that make sense? Right. Like of doing of course, all the stuff. Yeah. Um, and then it, I was very lucky because well, most like most people, I sent it to like Covenant and I sent it to um, Shadow Mountain and some of the main because it's a it's an LDS niche book, right? Yeah. Um, and they were like, no, no, no. Um, and I kind of knew I had an aunt who worked at Desert Book years before that, and she had said, look, they, the church um, publications are really picky about singles stuff. I mean, if you look at Desert Book right now, they they basically have a single voice by Sister Oaks and like John. By the way, is like what I wish I would have known. I was single, and then for a minute, my book was on the shelves. Which there, was, it's very limited. Yeah, which is when I was single, and which is what I want as a married person, single people to know. Yeah, and my, there's not. There's yeah, not there's a not a lot. Person's perspective, and that was my thing. I was like, for the people, by the people, right? Yeah. Like, by the single, for the single. Um, <laughs> And so it landed on the desk of a girl who was like 26, really society president single. And the editor was, she was like, I think 34, 35, recently divorced. So both single, both active LDS, both women. That awesome. just resonated. So I was like, okay, that yeah. was a God, like tender mercy. Handing it to the right yeah. people, of course. Yeah. And yeah. then I found out uh, that the distributor of this publication company was actually Desert Book, which is another miracle because not, not all the dis publications distribute with Desert Book. So I was like, the one place I need my book to be if it's ever going to do anything for anybody is going to be at Desert Book. Um, I kind of knew I was on an uphill battle with my book because single people don't necessarily go buy books about being single. And people that gift books about being single, the people, the, they kind of end up on people's shelves and they mm. don't really open them. Um, but for a Latter-day Saint author... You made it onto Deseret Book. I made it. That's, that's I check. That's, <laughs> you know, you talked I'm about, glad that you talked about your performing years. That's like make you made it to Broadway. You know, that's the pinnacle for a Latter Day Saint author. Tell us the name of the book. It's called Make It Happen, and uh, the tagline I think says "Finding Happiness in Your Single LDS Single Life" or something. Yeah. It's oh man, it's a terrible cover, and it's a terrible title. I think. <laughs> what? I didn't uh, pick them. I thought it looked great. Did you? Okay, yeah, good. I thought it looked fantastic. So the original, this is the thing. It was originally titled Single So What, which uh, is a great title. That's a great title. Yeah, see? That's a It was great too title. flippant. Yeah, Single Desert So Book What. Desert Book said, no. A Desert Book is very conservative. Very conservative. So Single So What, yeah. So it... I don't want to say anything negative about like my book experience because I'm not going to lie. There's just nothing like opening that box with my book with my name on it and being uh, like, I, I did this. I can it's, imagine. It's awesome. I will say this. It, in terms of like success, this is another one of those um, examples, I guess, about kind of like what the world thinks and what you think and, and how do you rectify it. So it was a smashing failure. As far as the world goes, it didn't make money. I lost money on it. Huh. Um, when I was going around and speaking, people would buy it, but I had to I had to buy my books and then resell them, you know, from my publisher. So I lost money in that process. Um, and so at the time, I I didn't really worry about it because I wasn't I didn't write it to like make money. But in the back of my mind, I was like. 
this is not the way that <laughs> this is not the way that that you imagine making a book would be, right? You imagine kind yeah. of um, spreading the word, but also like making some money. And so I really made no money on this book at all. If anything, I lost money. But um, so if you look at it from the perspective of when people say, "Was your book successful?" I, I say yes. Did it make money? No. But just the other day, literally like three weeks ago, a girl wrote me um, a message on Facebook and she was like, I just want you to know that I moved into this random apartment in Provo. I moved from like Michigan, she said, or something to go to BYU. I moved into this apartment, you know, that the apartments there have just people that go through them all the time, right? Sure, She's yeah. like, on one of the bookshelves, there was a book and it was about dating and, or she thought it was about dating or whatever. And she's like, and I'm, you know, and I'm kind of frustrated with being Mormon and dating. And she's like, I just want you to know that I read your book and, you know, it was life changing. Of course, it's not about dating. It was like putting your focus and building the kingdom, blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, we're, we're years later after publishing my book. And for me, I'm like, if that, if that, can happen for one person and it's happened for a few people, then that that's it, right? That's it. Isn't that success? Like being Absolutely. able to take your heart and, you know, I poured my heart out into this book. Pe- people that read it say they feel like they s- are sitting next to me. It's very me um, and very vulnerable. I felt like at times, like, why do people, why would people want to read something, you know, that vulnerable? And then it, you look at all the people that write and they're all vulnerable, right? This is. Be. Um, so yeah, so for me, the book is not, it's, it was not worldly successful and, but it hit exactly where I wanted it to hit. It landed, I hope, and I hope, you know, people still continue to find it, but to hit the hearts of the people that I wanted it to hit which was kind of like, we're in this, we're all in this together, singles, you got it. You got it. You know, there are more to life than, than this. Um, and while this is a good thing, you know, let's go out and and build the kingdom and God, basically kind of God expects you to do the same as the mom with the five kids. So dig in. Gosh, I absolutely love that, that message that we're all building the kingdom at different points. There's no, no, no point in sitting around and waiting for something to happen before you build it. Yeah. And I just want to say on, on the theme of success, First of all, I know a guy who has run a podcast for a year and a half and never made a penny off of it either. So, <laughs> you know, you're in good company. Whatever. But uh, I but feel great about my company. <laughs> I would just say, you know, whatever. Uh, but uh, on, uh, but also, there are a million saints. Maybe I don't know. Maybe literally a hundred thousand who go to bed at night thinking, "I got an idea for a book." They haven't written it. You wrote yours. Then there are tens of thousands or whatever who've written a book or compiled a book and can't figure out how to get it published. That's fair. Then or there are right? thousands yeah. of people who self-publish and desperately want to get into Deseret Book. Your book was in Deseret and, Book and it's yeah, touching thank lives. You. Thank you. Because I took pic- I was nerdy. I nerded out. Well, I think... You know, I'm re- I follow Rachel Hollis right now. She's doing a bunch of stuff. Girl, girl, wash your face and girl, stop apologizing. And she's she has two New York bestsellers. And she kind of goes in and she secretly signs books and bookstores and takes pictures of her books. And I think because I totally nerded out like that. I yeah. went into Desert Books and I and I took pictures of my book next to all these other awesome books that were awesome. in there. And I was like, I've of arrived. Course, you've done it. You did it. I did a thing. And, and I think <laughs> I did a thing. You did this thing. I think it's so yeah. awesome. I, I'll tell you. One one of the things I love about your story is that there, your story could be very different. Yeah. We could be sitting here with you crying, telling me about how horrible 
your life was because you wanted to be a young ambassador or you know what your parents how dare they move you your senior year and then you wanted to be a young ambassador why didn't you get in then you wanted to be a, an ASL missionary and then finally they got it together but you weren't you through the MTC you could sit here and tell me why everything has been terrible yeah but you're telling me how great things are yeah. And I love that about you, Kylie. I just, yeah, I wish, but that could be all of us, right? <laughs> like, I just think all of us, there's so much to perspective. Oh, there's gosh. So much that growth how we mindset versus your, your yeah. you know, it, it really matters. It does. It, you know, and my, and, you know, I didn't, I didn't necessarily want to brush over it, but my brother's death, my brother was 15 and I was 19. And at the time, I had had a couple other significant deaths in my family, my extended family, but my yep. brother's death just screamed in the face of my life of um, time is limited. Yeah. Limit, time is limited. Yeah. And you should take advantage and love the people that you love. So one of the things I guess I feel like I really feel passionate that I need to share, Sean, about that growth mindset is um, I was asked you know, recently, like, how is it that you can do the things you're doing? How is it that you can have this growth mindset? And I had to really dig deep. And one of them was because I felt like I had a safety net. Like my parents are, were always a little bit like, do, do the thing. You know, my, I had a friend my, when I was 27, I want to go to, to um, Italy. And I had saved a ton of money. And a friend of mine was going to go. And in the last minute, she ended up not going. And, you know, I said, I'm going to go. And my parents didn't say, no, it's scary. You shouldn't go to Italy by yourself. My mom was like, like blew the wind to myself. She's like, awesome. go do it. And that's the home that I grew up in. You know, my parents were just like, it, go and do it. And so I failed a lot because I tried things that I didn't know that I could do, you know, but then I succeeded a lot by being able to be like, I, right. I can do this. Right. Yeah. And so part of that was a safety net. The other part is, you know, building your a belonging place. So putting the people around you, you know, they, all the great authors and people say that you need to be the smart, the, the, the least smart person in the room or the That's least smart advice. person in your of your friend group, right? So collecting people around me through the years who um, loved me no matter what and allowed me to be able to sink or swim, right? It's yeah. funny because some of my closest friends didn't actually read my book for a good like year <laughs> because they know me and they were like, sure, whatever. Yeah, get One it. of my friends read it and, and he was just like... It was really good, Kylie. <laughs> like, it was a surprise, you know? <laughs> this is the kind of people that I hung out with. They were the kind of people that yeah. were just like, oh, you're doing this. You're writing a book. You're doing yeah. it, you know? It makes a big difference the people that you, like, place in yeah. your I, propinquity, you know? I would say I'm I'm always the least smart person in the room, <laughs> and it has served me so well. No matter who I'm with, no matter where I am, true. it doesn't uh, matter. Yeah. Kylie, this has been phenomenal. We're about at time. I yeah. wanted to ask, you know... I feel like so I just I just performed I entertained at the Arizona Mid Singles Mega Regional. I went and did stand up for them and had a great experience and it was so fun to see how bonded they all were and I I feel like and we've had Barbie Berg on the show talking about being single and her experiences and and some of the blogging she does but I I feel like there's a new openness that we kind of went from okay we're just not going to talk about being single <laughs> yeah. to we're going to talk about it with shame mm. and what is wrong and we need to fix it to now we're talking about it as okay this is this is who I am this is where I am in this experience what advice do you have or what's the one thing that you would say if somebody still feels like it's a struggle mm. yeah. what advice do you have I, 
I, I do want to be honest and say there are some days when I, I sort of struggle. But oh, I'm I, sure. You know, I, there, I, this biological clock thing that I have going on as an older, you know, single female, it's stressful. Every once in a while, I find myself almost like freaking out, like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to have kids. I'm never going to get married. It's, and, and there's a message, right, that we have in our brains that are like, and if I don't do that, then, I, then what can I offer? You mm. know? So I had a conversation with my mom recently where I was like, I'm enough, right? I'm enough. If I never have kids, if I never get married, if I, um, you know, my mom does this, does this whole thing where she's like, you're, you're a, a adolescent therapist. So you're helping kids all the time. She kind of goes, she ticks through the things that are like the good things that I contribute to the world, which I'm not trying to say anything against those, but they don't really feel good when you're like, but this is the thing that I really want. And this mm. is the thing that the church says is the most valuable thing is to build yeah. a legacy. So my answer might be surprising to you. I I have been telling a lot of people recently that they need to grieve. They need to grieve. Interesting. They need okay. to grieve. So at every level that, you know, at this point in my life, I, I may or may not have kids. Um, but if I do have kids, whether I get married um, and have, you know, stepkids or, you know, if I do end up having my own children, I'm going to be an old mom. And that, that's its own thing, right? Grieving. I'm, not, I'm never going to be a young mom. Does that make sense? Um, and so I... I feel like when I have done some speaking and I have said to people like, I like almost permission giving, like you need to grieve. Um, healthy grieving is very different than being in a victim mindset, right? Right. I'm trapped and there's nothing I can do, and and I should leave the church because the church is the problem, or I should blame everybody else. I should spew my poison everywhere. That's not going to help anybody. But truly, like sitting in your space and being like, okay, where did I think that I would be? Like, what are some of the things I thought that I would be doing? And then, like, almost letting them go, right? Like, mm. crying them out or grieving them out. Or, like, being able to sit with somebody who can handle that. Not a lot of people can handle people really grieving without feeling like they need to fix them. So, being able to find somebody that you can actually say, I'm really nervous or scared that I'm not going to have A, B, and C. And, and they don't have to fix you and say, you're great, everything's great. They can just sort of let you cry and hold your hand and be like, that has got to be really hard. Or like, I can relate to that. You know, I think finding those people um, and being able to really like grieve. I think that yeah. is such Did incredible <laughs> advice. I didn't see that coming. Yeah. And I love it. Because it's true. And that's part of just acceptance. And that's part of positive mindset, too. Yes. To be honest with you, the reason why most of my days are genuinely not fake good, right? Genuinely good. Um, I feel like I'm contributing in a really good way to the community. And I feel like I have a kind of a healthy mindset, emotional health. But part of that is because I do a really good job of self-care. I, I When I am really low, I allow myself to be low. When I need to bring people in because I really can't do it all, I, I bring people in. And when I need to freak out and be really sad and like be like, all right, God, do you, do you know the hairs of my head? Am I the sparrow? Remember Rebecca? Like there's these things in the church that we have that are so, so faith promoting that are like, God knows us individually. I sort of have to go on my knees and cry it out, you know, and wow. be like, awesome. you see me, right? <laughs> you see me, right? And this is the desire of my heart. And then I, and then I guess the last thing with that grieving, I would also say is, and then, um, and then trust, which is what I'm sort of in the midst of trust that God has a has a plan for you, you know? Mm. Nobody wants to be Martin Harris where you ask for something so much and God's like, okay, you can have it. And then it's really not 
at all what you wanted. So there's a part of me in my life right now that's like, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to, you know, get myself to a place where I'm ready and I'm, and I'm going to build the kingdom, but I'm also going to trust that God, God can move mountains. He can certainly, you know, people get married all the time. People meet people all the time, have faith that like God sees me and that, you know, that's the thing that I would offer to people is like, don't, don't give up on a God like that, you know? Certainly, God sees you. he sees you yeah. and he's aware of you. Um, and if you, you know, times and seasons with your grief and, and you're complaining, you know, because God, God has work for us to do. There's too much work to do to just sort of be stuck there, you know? Uh, I love that so much. And the book can still be found on Amazon. Yeah. Tell us the name of the book again. Yeah, Make It Happen. Make yeah. It Happen by mm-hmm. Kylie Shields. Check it out because uh, I'm going to order it now because I'm just excited. <laughs> Most of the people that did my blog um, reviews and stuff like that were actually married. It's awesome. a, it's not it's it's from a single eye to singles, but it has principles in there. I think that are just applicable. and we all have dear friends and family members yeah, and whatever <laughs> who are all single and and this is so applicable. Kylie, I am so happy we got together today. Oh, like, I'm for so me. impressed with you and your attitude and it's just been really fun. We're going to wrap things up with the question we ask every one of our guests, yeah. which is Kylie Shields, what does being a member of the church mean to you? Yeah, being a member of the church, uh let's see. I want to say I was asked this a few years ago um at a conference that I was attending. And my answer, I think, is the same. Uh, it really boils down to covenants for me. The covenants that I make with God sort of anchor me to Him and to to promises that I make that help me feel safe and healthy. Um, yeah, yeah. I that think is that's where it, yeah. awesome. She is an author, a published author. She is a therapist, a speaker. She is not a young ambassador, and that is okay. <laughs> it's okay. And she is truly making the world such a better place. Kylie Shields, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Sharing your Latter-day life with us. We appreciate it. And my special thanks to Kylie Shields. What an incredible person. I so thoroughly just enjoyed sitting down and getting to know Kylie. She is going to continue to do great things in this world. Uh, This week in my Latter-day life, I had a unique experience. I was shopping for a new dress shirt, and I am a large man. I occasionally shop at a big and tall store. Dress shirt specifically, I am what's called a big tall, so I wear a bigger size as well as I have very long arms, so I have to wear uh, a tall as well. And man, they are hard to find in dress shirts. Regular shirts I do find. But there is a big and tall store here in Salt Lake City that I really like. I've gotten to know the people there. And I buy a certain dress shirt and I I just enjoy it. And so I was in there and I was shopping this past week. And I heard a guy talking about basketball, which caught my ear. I'm a big basketball fan, as you know. Uh, and this guy was saying, oh, I can't believe this guy had such a great game. And dude, you got to see this. And they had a TV that was playing some highlights there in the store. But who was he talking to? And and I literally thought he may have some type of challenge um, mentally because he was talking to no one. He was just there by himself. And he was so excited saying, oh, man, you're missing out. And, you know, you got to see this. And and I continued just doing a little bit of shopping. And, uh, and then the dressing room door over by where he was standing opened up. 
and out came walking one of the larger men I've ever seen in my life. Now, most of you have probably never been in a big and tall store. Uh, you know, they start at a slightly big, which is like a, a 1X or a 2X, and then they go all the way up. I have no idea how big they, they get, but they have some really big sizes. And and this man was just very, very large. And he came out of this dressing room, and here this other man who was in there, and, and again, the first guy, the guy who was talking basketball, he was quite thin, so he was surprising to see in there anyway. But as this larger man opened up the dressing room door and stepped out, his friend immediately jumped into action and said, oh man, that shirt is so awesome. You look amazing. That is so sharp. Way to go. And the other man uh, just kind of shook his head and said, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know about this. And his friend again jumped in. No, you look incredible. Trust me on this and was high-fiving him. And then his friend turned to me and said, doesn't this shirt look great? And it actually did. It was quite a sharp shirt. And I said, yeah, in fact, you know, you may want to think about wearing the cuffs this way. And I flipped his cuffs cuffs up because they were a different color. And, and his friend said, oh, even better. That's amazing. Well, I continued kind of doing my thing, but they were pretty close to me. And I overheard the staff trying to find shirts for him because there were only certain shirts they made in his size. And all the while, I could tell that it had been a long time since this man had bought any clothes or since he had been out at all. And I think he wanted nothing more than to run out of that store. He looked very, very uncomfortable as people were trying to find shirts big enough for him. Why did he stay in that store? Because he had a cheerleader standing there in his friend. And I could have just hugged his friend. It is one of the most Christ-like things I've ever seen in my life. I don't know their relationship. I don't know if they're related, if they're just friends. I have no idea. But all I know is that his friend was not going to let him down. His friend was jumping up and down at every shirt they found and high-fiving him, telling him how great he was going to look. And this man, this poor man, just kept saying, I don't know, man. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know which is what led me to believe he hadn't been out shopping for a while. But sure enough, they finished up, and I had to fight back the tears as the man went up to the register and bought a few really nice-looking shirts as his cheerleader friend cheered him on, saying, You are going to look so amazing. You are going to blow everybody away. And he will. And I think every one of us just needs those cheerleaders sometimes when we're insecure, when we're not sure what's going on in our own lives, when we're not sure if we can succeed. And I'm grateful that I have friends like that guy. And gosh, I hope and pray that I can be that guy, that I can be a cheerleader for others, because I know for a fact there are times when I need it in my own life. And I'm just grateful for that man's incredible example this week and for the courage of the man who was shopping, for his courage, because it was obvious he was uncomfortable and he said as much a few times saying, I don't know if I could do this, but he got through it with a little help from his friend. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day Life. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. We appreciate it. Of course, if you want to find us on social media, we can be found on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you want to email me, I can be reached at sean at latterdaylives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at latterdaylives.com. 
Uh, we love reviews. We really appreciate it. Again, it helps us to get found, especially if you are on Apple Podcasts. If you could leave us a review, we're up to 113 reviews with a five-star average. We so appreciate it. So until next week, when we have another fantastic show for you, please remember, as always, there is a great, big, beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.